All right. We'll continue now uh, with the effects, uh, with uh, care of the patient with cancer. We, were, we, we talked about surgery. We then went into chemotherapy. I introduced to you some of the chemotherapies, uh, alluded to some of the effects, uh, and now we'll re review um, those effects. Nausea and vomiting. Uh, one of the most common side effects of chemotherapy. Um, does anybody know the physiology behind why you get nausea with chemotherapy? Anybody understand that physiology? Do you ever talk about that? Ash? Right. Chemotherapy is a poison and your brain has little poison centers that recognize that. That was to teach us not to eat those white pretty berries in the woods and we'd throw them back up uh, and reject them. And so unfortunately, we didn't eat the chemotherapy, we had it ejected, and so, but our body still responds um, with, the, with the nausea and the vomiting. Now fortunately, there are many more antiemetics than there were available, and, I, and when, I, when I look back in my career, and I think one of the biggest changes is the fact that um, the nausea and vomiting has severely been curtailed for most people by the, by the improved antiemetics. You know, it used to be on an oncology floor, you heard just you know, room after room, kids would be th throwing up or we would, we would dose them with so much medication like Phenergan or something that they'd be barely awake, uh, but still would wake up th you know, and, and start throwing up there. So we don't, we don't see that as much anymore. The, the nausea and vomiting effects sometimes are almost immediate. Sometimes they're, they're delayed. And so a lot with the, with the nursing care, when you have patients that are prescribed the antiemetics, you have to think about when is, or fi find out when is the usual time for the nausea and vomiting to occur. Some of them you actually start loading up on the antiemetics before you do the chemotherapies. Some of them, because there's more of a delay in that reaction, you might wait till, till later. Uh, remember, we talked about its effect on the rapidly growing cells. Uh, so the next, the next side effect is bone marrow depression. The bone marrow stem cells begin to die. They don't, they, they are, they're, they're not able to reproduce. Your, your red counts, white counts, everything goes, goes, goes down. Now, usually the chemotherapies are not given in such great quantities that it will completely wipe out your bone marrow. It, can, it is in one case and that's in bone marrow transplant because that's the purpose of it. But generally you're, you're still going to have some living bone marrow, you're still able to produce some cells, but what you're going to see it's greatly, greatly diminished. It takes a little while for it to occur, but once it occurs then the person is immunosuppressed and so they are at great risk for infections. And of course, even with antibiotics and things, all they can do is supplement your own immune system. So when you don't have immunity, you can get uh, septic. So even with the antibiotics, uh, a lot of times the causes of death during chemotherapy, during cancer treatment is not the cancer, it's uh, septic shock that can occur from an overwhelming uh, infection. That's why you have to be particularly careful about anything you're doing as a nurse that exposes people to infection risk. What would some of those things be? Okay. Like, like, you know, 
Right. What kinds of things as a nurse, though, can you do that really expose somebody to not washing your hands? Okay, that's number one. Number one is not washing your hands. So washing your hands, and I, for those of you who've been to um, DuPont, of course, I guess everybody has every, everybody's been there, right? This as of now. You, you notice outside all the rooms you have the little um, gel balls and you put your hand under it. And so I hope you all were in the habit of putting your hand under there every time. Research after study after research study shows that that really diminishes spreads of infection. Okay, that's one. Think of some other, tr other things that you might do as a nurse in your career. Karen. Wear a mask if you've got any kind of cold. And if you're working in those kind of settings and you think you've got a cough or something like that and there's other patients that aren't immunosuppressed, it would probably be, a, it would be better to switch assignments on, on those days. I saw a hand up over here. Gretchen. Cleaning your stethoscope, making sure that you're not taking objects from one room to the next. Um, a lot of hospitals now are moving to just keeping the stethoscopes and blood pressure cuffs and everything in the room and no longer having, you know, a little typhoid sphygma manometer going down from room, room to room. Chelsea? Right, yeah, treatment, things, things that you insert into people. So catheters, what else do we insert into people? Hmm? Syringes, any kind of injection, so you want to make sure the skin is very carefully cleaned. Right, anytime you're messing, putting in an IV, starting an IV, you want to really, really, really be sure you're cleaning, cleaning the skin. You want to think of it more like a surgical operation when you're, when you're doing those things. Another thing that's going to happen is most people after they're diagnosed with cancer are often going to have a central line put in. You know what that is, central line, everybody familiar with that? Okay or they'll have a pick line. E either of those will ex open them up to more infections. And those, because those dressings need changing. So every time that those things get open to the air, that's a risk for infection. And so the, the, the changing protocols are trying to draw a balance between keeping things covered and then unfortunately, but after time, the sterility is lost, um, the skin flora begin to grow, and so the, uh, the lines can get infected. Um, once in a while, you'll have a central line get infected, and the whole line has to be pulled out because the uh, bacteria will actually grow in the line, and no, all the antibiotics in the world won't, won't help it, and you have to change the whole line. The other thing is, is that there are certain tissues in our body that are particularly sensitive to chemotherapies, in particular your liver, your kidneys, and your nerves. And so all of, so all of that, those functions um, can be affected. Uh, the, the toxicity of the chemos can, can uh, damage your liver, damage your kidney. Uh, I gave example here of some neurotoxicities that can occur where people start having weaknesses, paresthesias, um, dizziness with the ataxia, constipation. You might even see things like foot drop, um, or pains in referred places, like they suddenly say they have a pain up here, um, or pain in their jaw, places like that. Um, and those are actually coming from nerve, the, the, the damage to, to nerves that, that lead to that area. And of course, the one side effect that most people are familiar with is alopecia, the loss of your hair. Um, and a lot of times people, you know, this becomes one of the bigger emotional side effects because it's so visible. When you're walking around with no hair, um, unless you're 
a man who's trying to hide the fact that you only have a little bit of hair left, for most people, being bald is a sign of having cancer. And while I don't think having cancer uh, instills fright in people like it used to, um, it does scare people, it makes people uncomfortable, it, points, it makes you look vulnerable. Of course, it change, your, your appearance changes not just having lost the, um, lost the hair. And so a lot of times people spend an awful amount of time worrying about the hair, getting wigs, hats, scarves, and spending a lot of time on that. And, and I always have to keep reminding myself that that is a very important thing because when I, in my mind, I'm looking at bone marrow depression, tissue damage. To me, those are much more serious, much, much more frightening side effects than losing your hair, but we don't see those things. These are the things that people see. This is what the rest of the world sees. So it is, it is very important uh, to patients. I was telling you about the dangers of uh, chemotherapy and how we didn't handle it um, very well. And uh, you know, nowadays chemotherapies are prepared by specially prepared um, pharmacy pharmacists or farm techs. They're, they're done under chemical hoods like you might have done in chemistry lab. Uh, everybody's going to be gowned and gloved while they're, while they're dealing with it. Because these drugs are not only mutagenic, which I told you about, but some of them are very caustic too. A lot of those alkylating agents that I was telling you about, one of the other reasons for the high hydration uh, and the high fluid volume is because if they ever sat on any part of your skin or, or flowed slowly through a vessel, they, could be, they would be caustic. A lot of them couldn't even, they should never ever be given in a peripheral IV, for example because the risk of, of infiltration is so great. Remember those, those gross pictures I showed you back in the IV lab? Well, those would be, uh, those would be the kind of effects that you would, you would see. So generally, nurses are not going to be involved with the preparation anymore. Uh, they're going to come to you already prepared. A lot of them are light sensitive. If they, they'll come to you in a, in a dark brown bag. Leave the, leave the bag in the dark brown cover because it's, it's because the, the chemical will break down with light. Some of them have a short shelf life. Once they're prepared, there may be a time on there when it has to be used um, by. So make sure you're checking that. And when you're administering the drug, make sure that you're wearing gowns and gloves when you hang it so that if any doesn't, nothing would splash on you, spill on you, get on your get on your hands. And also when you're dealing with patient's urine, wear gloves, make sure you're wearing gloves then too because uh, the chemical will be in, pass, through the, pass through the urine. Okay, any questions on chemotherapy? That's a highlight show on, on uh, chemotherapy. We'll get more into the nursing care later. All right, radiation. Um, radiation, while radiation can cause cancer, we're all familiar with the fact that you know, being exposed to radiation can, can lead to cancers. If it is concentrated into a beam and in controlled dosing, it can also um, change cell reproduction and, and actually interfere with the cancer cell um, reproduction. And so 
radiation is used, particularly in places where you can't get to it very easily with chemicals, like in chemotherapy or in surgery, and where would that be? Yeah, usually the brain. So a lot of a lot of radiation therapies are going to be done to the head. And another, do you know the other place where a lot of them are often done? Anybody know? Yeah, in the chest, in the thorax, the the abdomen. So uh, there's sometimes because the because of the extent of the tumors. Uh, their unresponsiveness to some of the some chemotherapies, radiation is also used that way. Some radiation can be done two ways. You can either uh, use a temporary beam of radiation, so you just zap somebody, and in some cases, um, small amounts of radioactive material are put into little capsules and actually inserted into tumors, and they emit lower doses of radiation, but you're putting it right on the tumor. And so it so it will affect the the tumor growth, um, but that has to be a tumor that you can reach, uh, and has to be and has to be able to um, be the kind of tumor that's affected by that radiation. Um, keep in mind that the radiation is still going to affect the surrounding tissues, and it's like. If I, if I put something um, hot down here, it is not going to just heat what I put this on, right? It's going to, the heat's going to radiate around. And it's the same thing with radiation. Even if I shine a, a beam of radiation down on this spot, all the surrounding tissue that the, that the beam goes through is now getting irradiated, and it keeps on going. So everything beyond that tumor is also going to get radiation. So in, in, in some of the radiation treatments where you're focusing a beam, uh, what's very important is that the beam is always put in the exact same, exact same place. Sometimes people actually have little tattoos put on to their head, mark, they use indelible ink that lasts for a long, long time, so that when they are put into the machine for radiation, it's always lined up exactly the same place. And then a computer then determines where the, the beam is going to go and for, for how long. Remember that uh, radiation effects are, are, are a function not only of the, the dosage, which are often referred to as RADs or in some cases grays, um, but also for how long. So it's a function of the intensity of the radiation and for how long that radiation um, occurs. And then depending on where you're trying to get to, uh, it will also affect, so when you're trying to get into the brain because you have to go through the skull, they usually have to often use more radiation than for uh, abdominal uh, can't, treatment because you're just going through the, through, you're not going through bone. And in bone marrow transplant, radiation is used in what's called total body irradiation. So instead of a narrow beam on the body, they use a wide beam and just uh, expose your entire body to, to um, periodic doses, high doses of radiation and uh, your bone marrow will then completely die off. And in uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, after, the, after um, the atomic bomb, a lot of the survivors died several months later because uh, they, were, they had received total body irradiation and of course didn't get a, any kind of replacement bone marrow that could, come, that could come back in them, so they died months later. Side effects of radiation. Now, some of these depend on where 
it's being given. So, um, for example, abdominal radiation is more likely to give you um, anorexia, um, constipation, uh, nause or nausea and vomiting. So you get more of the GI type things. And in the head, um, you get, well, you all get radi alopecia from it. Um, fatigue is probably one of the more common side effects that no matter where you, you're getting it, people are going to get fatigued after it. Uh, sometimes you even get little burns, the skin, light, fair, very fair skin patients. You might actually see a redness where the radiation has been. Uh, yeah? No, I think you can get, you can get it, and I'm trying to remember now, let's see. The problem is, is that the alopecia that you see is off, most people don't get just radiation. They're getting chemotherapies. So the, but in like um, total, the, the total body irradiation, you get alopecia from that, and a lot of that is from that, more probably is more from radiation than, than chemotherapy. But you can get alopecia from, from it, and I'm, I can't answer your question directly. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think, yeah, I don't think unless you, get, I think you'd have to get much higher higher doses to your head is my off-the-cuff thought for that. What other kind of side effects did you have? Did you have? Do, you remember, do you know? Nausea, vomiting. Nausea, vomiting. Burns. And the burns. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Did she have any other effects? Do you remember? Or? Um, How about her eating? Was she, was she affected? Yeah. Lost. Okay. Yeah. These, are, these, these side effects are temporary. Usually once the treatments stop, these things do, do um, return. The bone marrow depression, though, can take a while to uh, recover from that. I was telling you about bone marrow transplantation. Um, it's used for uh, cancers that usually are not responding to traditional treatment. So if you have leukemia, and that's, in, that's a bone marrow cancer, and you go into remission, and very often it's fairly easy to get kids into remission, but some of the, chemo, some of the leukemias, like AML, are not very responsive in kids. And so they often will start to, re, to relapse. And after a while, they say, well, none of these treatments are really showing much chance of success. We can get you into remission, but you end up relapsing a few months later. So the next treatment of resort is the bone marrow transplantation. And the idea is, is that if I can get rid of my cancerous bone marrow and replace it with clean bone marrow, then um, I will be free of leukemia. Sounds like a great plan, but you have to also get exposed to lots and lots of radiation and usually chemotherapy on top of that. And as we know, those things have a lot of problems uh, on, their, on their own. The second problem is, Whose bone marrow do I get? Where are you going to get? Where are you going to get clean bone marrow? <coughs> do you just match blood type, Maureen? Family members. Family members are most likely to have the mat the match. What you're looking for is what's called an HLA match donor, human leukocyte antigen, which is the, on the surface of your cells. It's the thing that says I'm me. Um, and it, there's only 
one other person in the world who would have one that's exactly the same as yours, and who would that be? Your identical twin. You hope you have one somewhere, but probably don't, right? <laughs> if you have an identical twin, uh, and, that, and the identical twin doesn't have uh, leukemia, that marrow can be used, and th your chances of success are much, much greater because there's not going to be any reactions to it. Most people, that's a rare occurrence for, for an identical twin to have one, just one twin come down with this. But it does happen, and it can be done. There's also some cases where for some other kinds of cancers, like uh, neuroblastoma, which really aren't a bone marrow cancer, but because they, they go out through the body and affect the, the, nervous, the nervous system throughout the body, the only way to really effectively treat it is with uh, high doses of radiation and chemotherapy, high enough that would, that would completely destroy your marrow. So one of the things they can do is take your marrow out first, then give you the radiation, give you the chemotherapy, and then give you your marrow back. That's called an autologous bone marrow transplant. And again, you don't have any kind of um, problems with uh, rejection with that because it's, again, it's you. It's going to take, it's going to grow you. There's only one downside to that is that there can be cancer cells hiding in that marrow that they've extracted from you. And you, because you're talking about things at a cellular level, it's not like you're going to be able to see them. And so sometimes those cancer cells can end up metastasizing come and, and come back. Plus the fact that you've just been dosed with all this radiation and chemotherapy can also induce cancers later on in life. So most people are left with finding a sibling. Uh, you have a, a sibling, I think there's about a 25% chance that you'll have an HLA match with that, with that sibling. There's also, there is a possibility that there's strangers in this room. I could take two, there could be two of you in this room that actually have cl uh, close uh, HLA matches. In the African-American community right now, uh, a lot of, at a lot of churches, they're going through, uh, they do little blood draws and they check it for an HLA match and put you into a, ma a, a bank so that if somebody else within the U.S., needs it, you would be available, you could donate your marrow and save that person's life. Um, so, there are, so there is a possibility, but it's rare. It's very hard to find a non-related match. Uh, because of the, the total immune suppression, and it lasts for several weeks, so you have people who are in very, very vulnerable to sepsis. Uh, and a lot of people die from, the, from infections and also from all the complications. Uh, when, I, when I was first involved with this in the early 80s, we were giving 1,000 rads of radiation in, in three divided doses. So we would go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, give them a 333 rads of radiation. Kids were getting so sick during the treatment that we sometimes had to stop in the middle of the radiation because they would be vomiting through it. So what, we've, what they found was is that you can, is it, the 1,000 rads will kill all the marrow, but you don't have to do it all at once. You can spread it out over, over several days and in smaller doses. So now the, now the kids will go for, for, I think it's three or four days, but they go several times a day and get smaller, smaller doses. The effect is the same. The complications are much less. 
and the graft versus host comes because the marrow, uh, after it begins to take, if it's not you, it's not identified as you, your own immune system then um, reacts to it. The transplant itself, Elise, did you? Yes, they go on anti-rejection drugs. Most of the people have this done. If you don't, even if you have an HLI match sibling, you generally still need to be on uh, anti-rejection drugs. And, and those anti-rejection drugs, because they have been improved, um, that has also helped the, the um, success of bone marrow transplants. Uh, the transplant procedure itself is kind of anticlimactic. Once the, the marrow is extracted, usually from the hips and sometimes also from the sternum of the donor. You don't need a whole lot. You, as a healthy person, will grow back that, grow back that marrow. Uh, it's done with sedation. Uh, it is painful. Um, after you come out of the sedation, you will be very, very sore. Uh, from doing that, but you should not have any ill effects from doing that. That marrow is then cleaned. There's going to be bone chips in it, uh, fat globules and things like that. Those have to all be cleaned out. And then the marrow itself looks almost like a watery blood transfusion. It's almost red or, or even pinkish in color. And it's just given through an IV. That's the transplant. It's very undramatic. Um, one of the kids that I was taking care of, we, they were doing a documentary of his bone marrow transplant, and I know the cameramen were so disappointed at the day of the transplant because they were building up thinking this was going to be a big, exciting thing, and then we just bring in an IV bag and hang it up. And it's like, that's it? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I think they had this impression that we were going to cut open the long bones and squirt it in or something like that, but it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Um, amazingly, it finds the bone marrow, these stem cells, the bone marrow cells in there, find their way into the bone, into the marrow, and uh, begin to grow. They do it all on their own, um, but it takes a couple weeks. Any questions on bone marrow transplant? So if you, so if you hear about that, it's used mostly for, bone, for um, bone marrow cancers like leukemias, and also for any kind of cancers that are so extensive that regular, that regular chemotherapies and, and, and smaller doses of radiation can't treat but it's become increasingly popular because it's still um, a treatment of resor last resort that does have some chances of success. There's also uh, immunotherapies and things. These are really more um, experimental at this point. Um, they're trying to do things I told you about, trying to change the antigen of the cancer cell to be identified as not, as not self. Uh, antibodies, even looking at vaccines that could um, prevent cancers or help or help uh, the, uh, your body's immune system identify cancer cells. Um, just take a look at a couple of um, selected adult cancers, just to give you some examples of some of some issues that are involved. Um, breast cancer. Uh, the, the, while the, inc the rate of increase is slowed, it's still, it's still increasing, about 40,000 deaths a year. Also keep in mind this, there is a percentage of breast cancer deaths that are, are in men uh, because in a lot of times when men are, are affected by breast cancer, they don't realize it because they're not in the habit of checking themselves and unless they have pain or feel a lump, they don't, uh, they don't notice it. Um, mammograms um, are the best method for finding it. 
Uh, newer mam mammograms use uh, computer imaging so that they can find things that uh, before were missed on visualization. Because what you're looking for is changes. You take your old mammogram, you look at the new mammogram, and then you're trying to see is there anything, any new spots there? Is anything grown since the last time we looked at it? Um, with what's, what some of the newer imaging techniques is a computer actually looks to see, it does an A-B comparison and looks for the, for the changes. So it's beyond just somebody's ability to spot a new, a new lump. If you have cystic breasts, it's a lot harder to get a good um, diagnosis on that because, you're gonna, because there's gonna be more things in there and some of those cystic cysts will also be growing. And so those people are always a little more, are more difficult. Um, once you reach 40, um, you, should, you should have an annual um, mammogram. Some, the risk really varies, though, among women. Uh, a lot of it depends. Family history, is defi you're definitely more uh, at risk. If you, uh, long menstrual history, if people, um, if you're going, have your, um, don't have menopause until you're much older, you're at greater risk. Uh, it's also linked with obesity. Um, oral contraceptive hormone replacement use, uh, women who have the child after they're 30 for their first child. These things seem to be associated with um, hormone levels uh, and alcohol, alcohol use. All of these things uh, seem to, seem to uh, affect hormone levels, seem to change, change risks for breast cancer. Uh, here's an example of um, a mammogram being done, and this is to illustrate a, a density that might be a cancer. So, I mean, when you look at an x-ray like that, you see how they compared the two years here, and there wasn't, that density wasn't there, and it is there. Breast self-exam. Now, there's been a lot of research about, while you hear a lot of talk about you, you need to do the breast self-exam and all, the, the research shows that it doesn't really help identify all that much with new cancers. And part of the reason for that is that by the time you can feel a cancer, it has progressed quite a bit. And so your survivability is going to be reduced. The mammograms can pick up cancer cells before you could ever feel anything. And so it's the mammogram that is more likely to sa save lives because they, the earlier you can detect, the earlier you can treat, the more likely you are just to um, do well with the treatment. Um, but no one has yet said don't do the breast self-exam. And, and, and why do you suppose that? Even though given what I've just told you, why, isn't, why aren't they saying? Yes. It's easy to do, doesn't cost any money, and what else does it do? Jack's what? Right, late is better than never. That's another good point. And what else does it do? Gretchen? Right, being familiar with your body, being familiar with changes, and just being aware of the, of the fact that there is breast cancer out there makes you think about it. Because for a lot of women, if you're not doing the breast self-exams, you might not think about it. And women who don't do that are also less likely to get the mammograms. And that's the reason why you're not seeing um, people saying, well, give up on the breast self-exam, even though the efficacy is not all that great. 
And so I think, I think the, the, the bottom line on that is that we don't have to worry so much about the techniques that people are using. You'll see a lot of uh, different, different styles, and I always say just teach people whatever they're comfortable with. Get them to do it on a, uh, usually anywhere in the five to ten days after their period, get so that they can get used to having that kind of on a schedule that they, that they um, do that. Uh, and what they're really looking for is any kind of, any kind of lumps. Uh, interestingly, pain in the breast is often things other than, than cancer. So you'll see different techniques, and they tell you, you know, using your fingertips, and then there's uh, circular motions and radial motions, and also uh, doing different depths. So feeling shallow, feel medium, feel deep. Um, but again, don't you know? Since people aren't being tested, you're somebody. You know, you can let some, you can have your patients practice in front of you. Um, but I think again, it, in the in the end, it's more important that they uh, get the mammograms regularly. How is it treated? Well, there's there's been debates back and forth about whether you just take a, the lump out and follow it with chemotherapy, or do you do the do you do a total mastectomy? Uh, it's gone back and forth. Um, I guess about 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, lumpectomies were more popular, but then the research was showing that mastectomies were probably a better, a better choice with removal of the lymph nodes. Um, but it all depends on the extent of the tumor when it's discovered, uh, your family history, whether or not you're, you're likely to have more, more problems. Uh, you've, you may have seen stories of women having elective bilateral mastectomies before anything occurs because of uh, such strong family histories. That's obviously very con controversial, um, and nobody knows uh, how effective that really, I mean, how, how, what's the true efficacy of doing, doing something like, like that? Is it worth the risk of doing, doing these things? Um, Breast cancer treatment is usually also not going to have just the lump removal or just the mastectomy. It's also going to be followed with chemotherapy, radiation, hormone, hormone treatments. So you're going to get a combination of all of, those, all of those things. To what degree, it just, again, depends on how you present, how far along it is. Um, some, some research was showing that a lumpectomy and radiation was as effective long-term as a modified uh, radical mastectomy. Most of the women I've been uh, hearing lately saying that they, they, they seem to be going more to the mastectomy. Um, this is a woman on the, who actually has a little web page where she talks about her, her experience. She posts pictures of herself. She wants, she wants other women to be you know, comfortable with the idea. Not This isn't something to be ashamed of. This is such an important part of how we identify herself as a woman. Uh, and she wants people to know that you know it's not changing her as a as a person. So she she's gone and posted these these pictures. Um, they usually will also do plastic surgery and and can and can restore um, the the breast shape. They'll make a tattoo of a nipple even on the on the end. So. Survival rates are are much improved. For localized, localized um, breast cancers, 90, 96%. That's one of the big, big changes if you look compared to the, uh, you know, 60 years ago. Uh, however, if there's a spread 
of tumors uh, throughout the, the, the lymph system, uh, survivability goes down, and of course if metastases have occurred, which usually occurs later, if it's, if it's a late diagnosis, then the, the survivability goes down even, even further. All right. Let's finish up with a, with a question. All hail, I see Rachel. Everybody vote. What's the right answer? It's fatigue, number one. The audience knows, knows right. All right, so let's stop there. Now on Monday, we've got two hours. We're going to finish up uh, cancer. Uh, there's also a little quick section on um, colon. Isn't this just an hour today? Yeah. It's, in the it's in the schedule as an hour, right? Yeah. If you want to go another hour, I can go another hour. <laughs> Shouldn't have said anything. All right, we're going to do colon cancer. Uh, make sure that I remind you of the, hold on, hold on. Make sure that I remind you of the uh, breakdown for the, for the test. What's that? It's supposed to be two today? We have two hours on Monday. We can get it all done. I've, we've made good progress here.